1: And you know the game, you go around the board, you avoid the mouse trap, and the aim is to get eight pieces of cheese. If you get eight pieces of cheese, you win. And at first we played the game over and over and over again, but we haven't been playing it anymore because it's kind of pointless. After you get your eight pieces of cheese, now what? It was actually quite existentially unsatisfying. And we all have that same feeling. I've got my degree now what? I've got my job, now what? I've got my house, now what? So our question today is this, what would Jesus say to the high achiever? So welcome to our February series of talks where we ask the question, what would Jesus say? And each week we look at a different person that Jesus meets in the Bible. We ask the question, what would Jesus say to this person? And what would Jesus say to me today? And this comes in the form of a 20-minute talk from me now, followed by some question and answer from you guys. And today is week two, and our question is this. What would Jesus say to the high achiever? Because in that story that we just heard, Jesus meets a man who is a high achiever. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answered, well, you know the commandments. And then Jesus then rattles off the commandments like bullet points. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honour your father and mother. Teacher, the man declared, all these I have done since I was a boy. This man is the high achiever. He has done everything that his society that his family, that his religion asked him to do. If he was around today, maybe he look something like this. And elsewhere in the Bible, we find out he was also young, he was also rich, he was also powerful. So he was young and successful, like the HSE student who's just topped the state. Also young and rich, like a university student who can do a gap year in Europe. And also young and powerful, like the CEO of a Fortune 100 company. But we also find out he was restless. And that's a part of the story I don't get. This man has done everything. He has everything. How can he be restless? Well, to find out, we need to hear the three things that Jesus says in this story to the man and the three things that he says to us today. And the first thing is this. Achievements by themselves can leave us empty. Achievements can leave us a little bit empty. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to Jesus and fell on his knees before him. He asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The man is looking for more than just what this life can give him. He's looking for what he calls eternal life. Now, when I wake up in the morning, I have my first cup of coffee and that just fills me with a buzz. At 10 in the morning, I have my second cup of coffee, and this time, not so much buzz. In the afternoon, we have a staff meeting, and I have my third cup of coffee, this time, no buzz. Well, what's happened? Well, as you know, my body has built tolerance towards the cups of coffee. My body treats each new cup of coffee and recalibrates to it as if it's the new norm. And so each cup of coffee leaves me wanting more and more, but each cup of coffee delivers less and less, and each cup of coffee leaves me with a... Uh, empty feeling. And achievements are like cups of coffee. With each achievement, we recalibrate like it's a new norm. With each achievement, we need more and achievements by themselves can leave us empty because they deliver less and less each time. And they leave us with a blur feeling. Now, Friedrich Nietzsche was a philosopher. Philosophers don't use the word blur. They use big words like melancholy. And so Nietzsche describes it as this. It's the melancholy of all things accomplished. That blur feeling when you finally get what you're looking for. Now this is one of my favorite photos. It goes back to a time when Australia used to be good at rugby. And it shows a picture of Nick Farr Jones, David Campese holding up the Rugby World Cup. This is the highest of highs in rugby. Nick Farr Jones has just captained his own country to beat every other country in the Rugby World Cup. They've done it at Twickenham, London, the home of rugby, and they've done it in front of the Queen. And a BBC interviewer later asked Nick Farr Jones, how did it feel when you held the Rugby Cup, Rugby World Cup up high? And Nick Farr Jones says, I had a blur feeling. I felt melancholy. It felt like, is this it? Is this what we work for? I thought there would be something more. Jill Stark is an Australian journalist. Just last year, she came out with this book, Happy Never After. And it describes what happened when she published her previous book, which became an Australian bestseller and she became an Australian success. And once her book became a bestseller, it sent her in a spiral of depression. And apparently this is very common with writers because they launch their book deal. They spent years and years and years writing the book. Then it's launched with much fanfare. It wins awards. It's a bestseller. And they have this Uh, feeling. I thought there would be something more. Is this all there is? I'm still the same person I was yesterday. So achievements by themselves can leave us empty, burr, and a little bit happy never after. The second problem with achievements is this. We can be trapped by our achievements. Jesus looked at the man and he loved him. And Jesus said to him, wow, one thing you lack. Go, sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. The man is sad because he's trapped. He cannot walk away from his wealth. He cannot walk away from his successes. He cannot walk away from his lifestyle. Well, when I was a junior doctor, I worked by day as a doctor play rugby by, uh, work by night as a doctor, rugby by day, doctor by night. Doc, uh, rugby by day, doctor by night, rugby by day, doctor by night, and it was unsustainable. But I had to keep it up, because every time I turn up to work as a doctor, Pill would say, hey, how's the rugby? And I thought, oh, I've got to keep playing rugby. It's become who I am. I'm nobody without my rugby. But it got worse, because one day I turned up to work and I had a black eye. Now everyone's go, whoa, you got a black eye. Now I think, oh no, now I have to keep on getting black eyes. I'm nobody without a black eye. Because if I turn up to work without a black eye, people say, what happened? How come there's no black eye? But it got worse because one day I turned up to work and I had two black eyes. Now everyone's going, whoa, you got two black eyes. Now I am thinking, I've got to keep this up. I've got to keep getting two black eyes now because if I turn up to work with only one black eye, people go, hey, what happened? How come you've only got one black eye? I was nobody without my rugby and two black eyes. It was unsustainable. But we have family friends, and they have a daughter who's to become ducks, number one in her year in a private elite high school, and the pressure of keeping coming number one broke her. They had to change schools so she could just be a normal person in a different school. See, she had to become number one every year. It was who she was. She was nobody unless she was number one. She couldn't come second or third. You and I could come second or third. But for her that was a failure she was nobody unless she was ducks and so we can be trapped by our achievements we can be trapped by our need for a phd we can be trapped by our need to research and publish we can be trapped by our lifestyle so what's the way forward Well, this brings us to the third thing that jesus says and it's this jesus offers the ultimate achievement jesus offers the ultimate achievement Jesus looked at the man, and he loved him. And Jesus said to him, "Wow, one thing you lack. This is the one thing missing in your life. Go, sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. This is the ultimate achievement. This is the ultimate prize. Treasure in heaven. Now, Chinese people are funny, aren't they? Because their houses are so clean. Chinese people have white carpet. They're so clean. Chinese people cover their furniture in plastic. They have to keep it clean. They cover their remote controls in plastic. They have to keep that clean. That's a bit I don't get. I didn't realize there was a resale value for your remote control. And Chinese people ask you to take your shoes off before you can come in their house. They gotta keep everything clean. Chinese people don't like dirt. Until you go to a Chinese restaurant and it's anything but clean. What is going on here? Well, any Chinese person will tell you because when you go to a Chinese restaurant, the point isn't the tablecloth, The point isn't the decor. The point isn't the color scheme. The reason you go to a Chinese restaurant is the food. That's what you want your money going to. Yes, tablecloths, decor, color schemes are important. They're good things, but I want my money going to this. This is the ultimate prize. So what's the ultimate prize of life? Our achievements are good. Our achievements are useful. Our achievements are things to be celebrated. But they're not the main prize in life. What is the main prize in life? Well, to answer that, we have Robert Waldinger, Harvard psychiatrist, in his TED Talk, who asked the question, what makes a good life? This is the most downloaded TED Talk of all time. And in this, Robert Waldinger talks about a Harvard study which traced the lives of over 70 men over a period of more than 70 years. And they asked the question, what makes a good life? And they came down to this. It didn't matter whether you had a million dollars or not. It didn't matter whether you owned a house or not. It didn't matter whether you were a CEO or not. What did matter was this. It came down to the quality of our relationships with each other. If we had rich, flourishing relationships, we were happier and healthier. And so Robert Waldinger approvingly quotes Mark Twain, who says, There isn't time, so brief is life, for bickerings. Just get over it. There is only time for loving, and but an instant. So the prize in life is this, it's not what we've done, it's not what we have, it's who we have in our lives. That is a treasure on earth. How much more so than if we can have God as our Father in heaven, that is the treasure in heaven. That's the ultimate prize, the ultimate achievement. But come on, none of us are that naive. We know human relationships are impossible to sustain and maintain because we all know of two friends who will go to Europe together and come back never talking. We all know of two friends who will set up a business together and then talk through lawyers later. We all know of lovers who fall in love only to fall out of love. It's impossible to maintain and sustain human relationships. So how can we have a relationship with God our Father in heaven And Jesus looked at them and said, you know what? You're right. You're right. With man, this is impossible. But not with God. All things are possible with God. Well, how does God make this this possible? Because it's not based on our achievements. It's based on God's achievements. So job interviews. We know the game. We know the game in job interviews. In a job interview, we're meant to brag. We're meant to brag about how amazing we are. We're meant to brag about our achievements. We're meant to brag about our HSC mark and how amazingly high it was. That's a job interview where we have to earn our way in. But relationships don't work like that. So guys, on a date night, when when you're on a date, you don't brag about your achievements. You don't brag about how amazingly smart you are. You don't brag about your HSC mark and how amazingly high it was. That is a deal breaker. On a date night, you're meant to brag about her and her achievements. Brag about how smart she is. Brag about where she's travelled. Brag about how funny she is. And it's the same with our relationship with God. It's not a job interview where we earn our way in. It's a relationship based on God's achievements. So brag about God's achievements. So can we brag about his achievements? Can we base our identity on who God is and what he's done? Because if we can do that, it sets us free to enjoy our achievements just for what they are. A good gift from a good God to enjoy, but they don't have to be who we are. And it sets us free to enjoy a relationship with God, our Father in heaven. So what would Jesus say? To the high achiever, that was our question today. Jesus would say this: achievements are good things; they're a good gift from a good God to enjoy. But by themselves, they can leave us empty. By themselves, they can trap us and define us. But if we can base our identity on God and His achievements for us, and if we see the main prize as relationship—a relationship with God—we will have the ultimate achievement—that is, treasure in heaven. So this is my family, that's my wife, Stephanie. We've been married for over 20 years. They're my three boys. And for a little while, I had a ritual with my boys where I would do a daddy date with them. So on a Saturday, I would take one of them out for a daddy date. And a daddy date would go like this. I would take them out to a park and we will play. Then we will go to a cafe for breakfast. And then I will take them to a toy shop and buy them a toy. And it went well for a little while, but after a little while, I noticed the meaning of daddy date had morphed and changed because my boys were starting to say things like, Dad, 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 for my next daddy date, can you buy me this? Dad, 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 for my next daddy date, I want you to get me this. Dad, 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 when's my next daddy Day? Because I really want this toy. And I suddenly had to say, whoa, whoa, time out. Guys, guys, I think you've changed the meaning of daddy date. Instead of spending time together, now you're seeing it as something where you can get something out of me. It's all about the toy now and not the relationship. It's the same with our relationship with God, our Father in heaven. The meaning of life can morph and change where bit by bit it becomes what we can get out of God, where it becomes about our toys, our trophies, our achievements, when really it should be our relationship with our God, our Father in heaven And that is eternal life, and that is the treasure in heaven, and that is the ultimate achievement, and it's based on the achievement of Jesus on our behalf. Question. We are to come and follow Jesus
0: after selling of everything, and after that we have treasure in heaven. Can you talk about this order? So it's a question about the order. Yeah. We have to come come and follow Jesus after selling everything, and then we have treasure in heaven.
1: Yeah, so what we see with these... That's why I love these stories about Jesus, where we have different people coming to Jesus, and we have different stories. So what seems to happen is Jesus says a different thing to each different particular person, because each different person has a different particular need or issue or problem that's holding them back. So Jesus to a theologian called Nicodemus says something about Nicodemus' interpretation of Scripture, and says, you need to be born again, and tells him about the Spirit... Jesus to a woman at the well tells her about the brokenness of her life at home to this rich young ruler Jesus tells you got to tells him you got to sell everything you have so it's different advice to each different person and then straight after this guy in the book of Luke we get the story of Zacchaeus who's also rich and powerful and Jesus doesn't say sell everything you have and come and follow me instead to Zacchaeus he says come down and welcome me in your house Publicly, So it seemed to be a public welcoming thing for Zacchaeus. And after welcoming Jesus, Zacchaeus then says, I will sell half of everything I have and give to the poor. So it's very different. He's not selling everything, only half. And he's doing it after he's welcomed and followed Jesus. So I think for this particular man, it was this particular different issue that was holding him back. So what's significant in this story is Jesus looks at the man and it says he loved him. So whatever we think of what Jesus said, this is somehow a loving intervention by Jesus into his life. It would be like if you had a loving intervention to me and said, Sam, we got to do something about your Netflix addiction. So for everyone else in the room, you guys can watch Netflix as much as you like because it's not an issue. But you can say, hey Sam, I think this has impacted you and your lifestyle, Netflix. You need to walk away from it. And maybe Jesus is giving a loving intervention into this man's life. Hey, your wealth has impacted you in a very negative way. So
0: was uh, there some the truth in that about Netflix? No. <laughs> no okay. But
1: there is for my wife. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> she she waits, walks through just two in the morning, and in the morning she's unconscious. My poor boys are trying to wake up. Mom, wake up. Wake up. Take us to school. And say so it's like, I don't know. like, it's like they've married. I, I can't say those words in here, but okay. okay.
0: Okay, so we're drilling down on this this rich young man. Yeah. And the follow on for us: should we sell all we have? If not, why did Jesus say that? And what does it mean for
1: us? Same sort of. Yeah. So same. So so again, it's what is in this man's heart that's holding him back from being loyal to Jesus. That's the key in the Bible. Are we prepared to be loyal to Jesus? Are we prepared to base our identity on Jesus? Are we prepared to worship Him? Is there something else in our life? that is our basis of identity security and self-worth is there something else that we're worshiping and jesus picks it out in this man this is what you're worshiping it's interesting that when jesus lists the commandments he seems to deliberately leave out you should you know that you should worship god and have no other idols and you shall not covet so i think jesus is trying to say hey i don't think you've actually kept those commandments you have this issue in your heart also, Jesus has that playful banter with a man when the man says, hey, good teacher. Jesus, says, hey, why are you calling me good? Only God is good. And we as the readers know that, um, Jesus is God, so he is good. But I think Jesus also playfully nudging back at the man, hey, I don't think you're as good as you think you are, because you're worshipping money in your heart. And the disciples, when they left everything to follow Jesus, later we find out the disciples are still fishing. So they didn't leave their boats behind. They didn't leave their nets behind. They still had a means of income. So they didn't leave everything behind. So I don't think it was the issue for the disciples. I think Jesus is just testing this man. And it's a chance for us to ask ourselves, what am I really worshipping instead? And I could go on, on a bit. So for me, as you know, I was a doctor and I worked full-time as a doctor for about four years. And about the age of 30, I could feel a, a clear calling by God to go into full-time Christian ministry to preach and teach the Bible. So what do I do with my achievements, my qualifications of medicine? And here you look for that Goldilocks position where you don't over-function, but you don't under-function as well. This is a good gift from a good God to enjoy. So, are, you, are
0: you talking
1: about medicine then? Yeah, my, own, my qualifications as a doctor, my achievements of becoming a doctor. So I don't want to under-function. So under-function is, you know that feeling you get when someone gives you a $100 gift card? You forget about it and find your top drawer a year later and it's expired, you think, oh and you certainly don't ring up the friend and say, Hey, remember that gift card you gave me? So sorry, I let it expire. Because that would be so disrespectful. And it's the same with our achievements from God. I think they're a gift from God. We're a steward of them. He's given us opportunities, access to health and education the rest of the world would just dream of. So we don't want to underfunction and not make use of what God has asked us to be stewards of. But I don't want to overfunction, make this the basis of my self-worth and identity. And I think for about ten years I struggled with having given up medicine to go into full-time Christian ministry. So that whenever at a party someone asked, What do you do for work? I used to always say, I used to be a doctor. It took me ten years before I could say, I'm in Christian ministry. And the other test for me was when they we when I had to fill out my driver's license form and ask for my title. And for about 10 years, I still used to tick the box doctor. So I was Dr. Sam Chan. But after 10 years, I thought, you know what? That,
0: that, maybe that was just I didn't take you on. Yeah, <laughs> that's right.
1: <laughs> yeah. I thought, I thought I'll be mystic. Am I comfortable enough? Is my self worth in my title and status as a doctor? It took me 10 years to negotiate. I think because I was still worshipping it. It still had an unhelpful place in my heart.
0: Um, can, I, can I ask you, is this, this man who
1: walks away from Jesus, is he the only one who walks away sad? Yeah, isn't it amazing? All these characters that come to Jesus, it seems to me this is the only one who walks away sad. Like he, He's just trapped. He's devastated. And even Jesus was sad when he walked away. I don't think the Bible describes this anywhere else. So, And then Jesus says how hard it is for rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So somehow... Wealth can wealth and power. I think wealth and power have a hold over us in a way many other things don't.
0: Another another question that's um, right on topic. So how do we have this treasure in heaven? Question mark. By selling everything and giving to the poor. Why is it hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God?
1: Again, so it's what. So wealth and power in and of themselves are not bad things, but it's what they represent. So for some of us, wealth wealth represents power. For some of us, it represents freedom. For some of us, it represents security. For some of us, it's status. For some of us, it's relationships. So we, we feel like we lose wealth. We lose power, freedom, status, relationships, and security. It's what those things represent. But true treasures in heaven would be knowing that, no, God is my freedom. God is my security. God is my power. God is my freedom. Uh, and those things. So just realizing no that is my treasure so until we can let go of wealth as our power freedom security status relationships um we'll, we'll be trapped
0: okay um, a final question here uh, heaven will be a very lonely place if entry to heaven requires us to sell everything and give to the poor did jesus go on to say don't worry you will be on welfare and when you die you'll have eternal life in heaven uh, how do you think that resonates with today's people struggling to be people of faith? Wow!
1: Do you want me to give to you again. Well, I think it just comes down again. This, I think Jesus very playfully sort of testing this guy, because um, again the disciples didn't have to walk away from everything. The so kids didn't have to walk away from everything. But for this man, it was a particular problem, uh, like Netflix. And I think it again we have to ask ourselves. How pure is my heart and how trapped am I by my wealth and power and lifestyle? Well, um, uh, please join
0: me in thanking Sam for... Thank you. you. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.